0: Turn to your Bibles to Psalm 37. Tonight, as has been mentioned, we are going to talk about the wonderful subject of waiting. Waiting. Uh, some people say that it's next to godliness. Some people say it's basically a form of torture. But all say that we tend to suck at it. <laughs> Which is really too bad, because uh, waiting is a big, big part of life. And it's a big part of relationships, relationships. Uh, You know, it's waiting for that girl to call you back. Anyone ever been there? Um, Waiting for that guy to ask you out. Anyone ever been there? Um, Waiting for the wedding after he gets down on one knee. You know, kind of that gap between engagement and and standing at the altar. Or, you know, maybe it's waiting for the right gal or the right uh, guy to come along. Uh, Maybe it's waiting for just a relationship of any sort just to work out. Um, Or maybe it's simply waiting for someone to show a little bit of interest. Maybe you've been in some of those waiting situations. And here's the scary thing. Um, you know, we've got some new people here tonight, so maybe we have a couple of, like, married people. I, I think, though, we're all singles, is my, is my guess. You know, unmarried, at least, uh, in that kind of sense of single. And uh, many, perhaps not all, but, but probably my guess would be probably most of the people in this room um, would have aspirations of being married someday. But if it's marriage that you're waiting for well then that can take years so just think of those poor bible guys so you know for example joseph joseph doesn't get married till he's 30 which you know gosh especially like if huh, you've grown up in the church 30 oh my gosh that's so old now not really i'm 30 and i'm unmarried, so hopefully there's hope uh joseph didn't get married until he was 30. isaac didn't get married until he was 40 years old same thing with moses and, uh, you know, by the way, God never even promises that any of us will get married. So the real question is, the real question is? how do I trust God with the future? How do I trust God with the future? How do I trust God with my own future? And how do I trust God with my future when my desires are deep, the waiting is long, and the hormones are raging? Uh, just, you know, as we're getting started, anyone have any good answers to that? Anyone want to just toss out a couple answers to what does it look like to actually wait well. See, yeah. Take the studying steps. i just not thinking about like marriage per se and just focus on the, the here and now and growing what you have here and now. Okay, okay. so yeah, yeah focus yeah. on the here and now. That's good. That's good. Anyone else? One day at a time. One day at a time. Yeah. That's all, you know, I think Jesus said something. Something about how each day is in the trouble with its own yeah. That's uh, Jason? Uh, say oh Do you. Cure for anxiety. Care for anxiety right? uh, don't get your own <laughs> stuff. So, yeah. No, I think worship. Worship, okay. Uh what do you mean? Well if you read the Psalms, like I think David's heart is reflected in the Psalms, but I think he had that attitude like way back when Samuel anointed him, like God had a vision for his life, but he had to wait years and years and years before he became king of Israel. And he actually, just before he was king of Israel, was fighting for the Philistines, like Israel's arch nemesis. He was fighting for them, and all of a sudden, like this, like Saul and Jonathan die, and then David just has the ability to walk in without like having to lift a finger. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're almost, <laughs> you're almost preaching the message tonight because that's literally part of what we're going to talk about. These are all great answers. Um, it's, it's a worthwhile topic, the topic of waiting, uh, for a series on relationships. But I wanna say at the beginning here that it's actually a topic that's obviously a whole lot bigger than just relationships. Um, it may be that the hardest piece of your future to trust to God isn't a relationship, but it could be trusting him for maybe what you're supposed to do next in life, or for whether you'll even find a sense of direction for life, or whether you'll ever be anxiety, or whether you'll ever, ever heal from some wound from the past or or just simply whether you ever will finally come to feel like your life is really moving ahead, going somewhere. Waiting on God for all of these things is hard. But here's the good news. The good news is that waiting is always, always an invitation to experience God. Waiting is always an invitation to experience God. And in fact, here's some more good news. The other good news is that we're not alone We're not alone um, in the waiting dilemma because one of the people in the Bible who knew about waiting was a guy named David. Uh, David, when he was a teenager, as Will mentioned, was promised by God that he would be king of Israel. But thanks to his boss, who uh, was a guy named Saul, uh, his boss, Saul, uh, King Saul, kind of goes insane. And then he tries to kill David, throws spears at him. And David doesn't actually get crowned until 10 years later or more. We don't actually know how many years, but it was probably at least 10 years or more. And so David was the guy who knew about waiting. And conveniently, he actually wrote down some of his thoughts about it. And that's uh, what Psalm 37 is about. So soak with me tonight in just some of the wisdom that David has for us on what it looks like to trust God with your future while waiting. And let's look at just a couple of verses here. Um, Psalm 37 We're just going to do verses 3 through 7 tonight. Is there anyone who would be down to just read these for us? Anyone feeling good to read? Luke, let me actually give you the mic for a second. (laughs) I think so. Just verses 3 through 7. Trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and defend faithfulness. Delighted yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires to. Make your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. You will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the new day. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. That sounded like some King James action right there. All the to... Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> any, uh, any ESVers in the room? Yeah. Okay, you know, see, I'm a 90s kid, so I still use the old, like, NIV from 1994. Yeah, so that's, you know, the way you know you've met a, a, a kid from the 90s, is that's, that's <laughs> the one they use. Anyway, all right, uh, enough of that nonsense. So, okay, pretty easy to see how this little bit of Psalm 37 has to do with waiting, right? Because you've got it right there in verse 7. Uh, so he says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. So, uh, David was a guy who obviously knew something about waiting. What did David know about waiting? Well, he's got at least nine lessons here on waiting. Now, why do I say the number nine? Well, that's the number of—I'm going to get a little grammatical on you here. That's the number of uh, what the the grammar people call imperative verbs. So not counting duplicates there, but, you know, like uh, commands. In uh, this psalm. And so each one of those kind of represents, I think, just a different lesson that David learned about waiting. And they appear in just these six little verses. So um, it's sort of like each one is David waving a little flag saying, hey, you know, if you're waiting, try this. So we're just going to look at these tonight. So the first one, verse three, first one he says is, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And, you know, you might hear that and say, well, great. You know, of course I'm supposed to trust in the Lord, you know, but that's the hard part. I'm not good at trusting in the Lord. So what does that mean? Well, some people will tell you that trusting in the Lord means to basically shut up, shut down, and switch off. So, like, in other words, shut up, you know, don't question God. Shut down, you know, don't act, don't do anything, just kind of be passive, just sit there, you know. And then switch off, you know, switch off your brain, like don't... uh, try to even understand, just believe without any evidence. And I'd like to suggest to you that that is all, in general, pretty bad advice. <laughs> um, here's my favorite metaphor for trusting God. Uh, trusting God, can you guys guess what I'm going to say? You guys are not going to guess what I'm going to say. Maybe Candace is going to guess what I'm going to say, because I think she's heard me talk about this before, and it's in this book that we read. But trusting God is like being an awkward. Trusting God is like being an acrobat. So if you, okay, raise your hand if you ever have seen a circus. Okay, some of you. Raise your hand if you've ever been in a circus. Anyone here ever been in a circus? I'm suspecting some of you probably just aren't bold enough to raise your (laughs) hands. (laughs) No, but uh, there's this this Catholic priest guy named Henry Nowen, and he talks about this time that he went to a circus, and he saw this acrobat. And uh, he describes how this guy, this acrobat, would just dance through the air, And would just do one amazing trick after another, perfectly graceful, perfectly fearless. And now when he's perplexed, you know, he's asking himself, you know, how is it that this acrobat could be so confident in the air when he's literally falling out of the sky? (laughs) And the answer, he realized, was the catcher. The catcher. A man who was always on the ground waiting to catch the acrobat when he fell back to earth. And if there were no catcher, then the acrobat, of course, you know, would be afraid to fall out of the sky. But because the acrobat knows that the catcher's arms are always waiting, he's freed up to soar, to spin, and to dance, and be totally, completely fearless. Uh, in Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-seven, it says, The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. To trust in the Lord is to know that you have a catcher. When you feel behind in life, you know, like when you feel like you're just never going to break out of whatever addiction you're in, when you're feeling like you're getting older and you're like still not married and you're freaking out, Um, you know, instead of like wigging out, melting down, crumpling up, it's knowing that his arms are never, never going to let you fall. So I think that's what trusting in the Lord really looks like. What would it look like? If you had a catcher, if you knew that you had a catcher, a catcher who always catches and who never misses, I think you'd probably feel like the acrobat. You know, you'd be free to dance. You'd be free to dare. You'd be free to dream, to soar gracefully through the trials and through the uncertainties of life because you know that he'll never fail you. So that's why the next lesson is, number two, what does it say in verse two? What's the next verb? Anyone want to call this one out? Trust in the Lord and next. Uh, do good good. yes right do good so uh here's a question do things like dancing daring and dreaming you know do those sound particularly passive to you you know sometimes there's this myth that that waiting is just sort of this passive activity they're not they're not passive and waiting isn't passive either while you're waiting david says do good or you know in other words get busy (laughs) serve work don't just twiddle your thumbs. You know, if we're talking about waiting for marriage, since this is kind of a series in relationships, uh, then, then, you know, singles, if you're a single, don't waste your singleness. The Bible itself says that if you are married, you will be distracted. Now, conveniently, I think what it's talking about is that you will be distracted by your spouse and by your family. I mean, those are good things to be distracted by, but it says you will be distracted. <laughs> And the reality is you are never going to have as much time as you have now as a single. You know, I talk to people. I I sometimes say this. You know, people say, oh, how are you doing? You say, oh, well, you know, I've just been really, really busy. Now, uh, it's not like I disbelieve you. I mean, I say the same thing. However, however, I've been told by older, wiser people that life only gets busier. So if you are a single, buy up the time. Make the most of the time you have. Use your gifts. Develop your skills. Pursue your calling. Serve your church. You know, what did Moses do while he was waiting? He fed sheep. What did Joseph do while he was waiting? He served his master. And then even Jesus <coughs> had a season of waiting. What did he do? He studied the scriptures. Actually, I want to riff on that just for a minute. One of the things that I think is one of actually, the most valuable things that you can do with this phase of your life kind of your post high school you know young mid-20s phase of life get to know the scriptures get to know the scriptures I remember when I was in college I had a professor and uh, we were having a little sort of like an end of the year barbecue or something like that for I guess a class I was in or something and I remember talking to him and he asked me what I was going to do that summer and I had just kind of had an experience of really being rocked by the Bible, and I was really excited to go home that summer and read the Bible. So I told him, I'm going to go home this summer, I'm going to read the Bible. And he kind of nodded and he said, Oh, good, good. Time spent in God's Word is never wasted. And can I just encourage you, if you want to know one thing that will never be a waste of time, you can never spend too much time doing this. It's getting to know the scriptures. Know them, read them, study them, know them well, and they will be an anchor to you in the wind and waves of life. That's what Jesus did with his time of waiting. And just, you know, it's interesting to notice that guys like Moses, guys like Joseph, they didn't realize how God was actually at work behind the scenes. Moses may not have known that shepherding sheep was training him to shepherd people. Joseph probably didn't know. The governing Potiphar's house was training him to govern Pharaoh's house. And the same thing applies to us. You know, all of the Christian life is preparation. And it says in Scripture that if we're faithful with little, we'll be entrusted with much. So just don't waste waiting. Get busy. Do something. Do good. And that's connected, actually, to Numbers 3 and 4. And uh, I'm going to put these two together. These next ones say, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. So uh, dwell, what does dwell mean? Live. Live, yeah, yeah. Or maybe another way you could say it is it means stay put. (laughs) Stay where you are. Stay put, sit, rest, soak in. And you know, if you're David, (laughs) it's pretty amazing actually that David wrote this because For David, dwelling kind of seemed probably like a pretty bum deal. I mean, we don't exactly know when in David's life this psalm was written, but if it was written when a lot of the psalms were written, then this means that this psalm was written in a desert. And who wants to dwell in a desert? Who wants to dwell in a desert? Well, you know, actually, you may not realize this. Actually, you actually want to dwell in a desert. I don't know if you knew this about yourself tonight, but you actually want to dwell in a desert. Because throughout the Bible... When God wants to use a woman or man and use them in mighty ways, he forms them in the desert. Moses went to the desert. David went to the desert. Paul went to the desert. Even Jesus went to the desert. And the reason the deserts are so important is because they say you never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Deserts teach you that Jesus is enough. Anyone ever experienced that? Deserts teach you to trust. They expose idols. They break pride. They can create dependence. Deserts are God's way of forming your soul. Deserts are God's way of forming your soul. So, if you're in a desert, the question is, how do you respond? And David says, respond by saying yes say yes to the desert say yes to what it is that god wants to do in your life through that dwell there sit there soak there and don't play the grass is always greener <laughs> you let let god use the experience to enlarge your soul i once um, was asked i remember someone asked me I don't, I don't know if I'm getting her wording exactly right, but I think, I think the wording was, how is it that you have come to know God? And I just instantly said, pain. <laughs> pain is one of the primary ways that I've come to know who God is because of this, because God uses deserts to form your soul. know, if you've been around Thrive for a long time, you'll probably have heard me share more than once about... Um, this story of a man named Wes Stafford. Um, Wes Stafford was a guy who <clears throat> was a young guy, probably in his 20s, about our age. And he had grown up on the mission field, so he spoke multiple languages. He had, I think, done something like five different degrees. He was a brilliantly uh, smart, talented, uh, gifted guy. And he was a Christian. He had a real heart to use his life to, to follow God. So he had seven different options for different career paths that he could do having, you know, kind of finished school, and he wasn't sure which one he was supposed to do. So he goes off into the wilderness, often, you know, some place to go camping, and he says, I'm going to pray all day about each of these seven options over seven days, and I'm confident that God's going to show me which one he wants me to do. So he goes into the wilderness, he prays about the, the first option, and prays all day and doesn't get any kind of, you know, sense or sign that it's the right one. So he says, okay, must not be that one. Prays about the second one for the second day, still no sign there so then he progresses to the third day then the fourth day then the fifth day then the sixth day finally by the seventh day he's probably thinking you know god you've been testing my patience you know you've been having me wait right because this is the one that you really want me to do so he he prays all day about the seventh option and still he's just deeply persuaded that god has not spoken (laughs) and so he drives back to civilization he's by himself in his car and he gets in a shouting match with god and he begins to say god you know, here I am, I've dedicated an entire week to going out into the wilderness to seek you. You know, the least that you could do is you could respond. And he gets more worked up, and he gets more worked up, and finally he just shouts out, God, isn't there anything that I can do for you? And finally he says that God speaks. And he just has a, a sense deep in his soul of the Lord saying to him, no, no, I made you to love me. I made you To love me. And I love that story. I love that story because here's a guy who thinks that he's called to wait on God so that God would change his external circumstances. When what really was going on was that he was called to wait on God so that God could change him. And that's what seasons of waiting do. In seasons of waiting, God's primary invitation to you is not to wait for a change of circumstances but to wait on the one who can use our circumstances to change us. Or uh, Elizabeth Elliot, famous author, uh, once put it this way, the secret, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. Have you ever discovered this where like you've got a problem and you just think, man, if I just kind of like run away and then maybe I move to a different town or I... You know, just go to a different place, then all you know, all my problems will get left behind. And then you, you know, you do the thing, you move to a different place or whatever, and then you're like, oh, shoot, I've still got that problem. <laughs> your circumstances are never going to solve all your problems, but God can use your circumstances to solve you, to change you. Let the desert do that. Deserts are dry, deserts are hard, deserts are disorienting, which is why waiting can feel like a desert. So if you're longing to be married and are single, or if you're longing for clarity and are confused, if you're longing for momentum but feel stagnant, realize that God probably isn't punishing you. He's inviting you to go deeper with him. Which is why the second word here is is not just dwell, but it's enjoy. Which is another way of saying, feed on his faithfulness. When all of the other things are stripped away, discover God's faithfulness and feed on that. Now, if it's really possible to enjoy the process, you know, what does that actually look like? Well, the next lesson David has, number five, is actually the secret to that. And the next lesson, this is probably my favorite one of all, it says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. This famous verse, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, this verse is so cool because... Uh, one of the things that the desert does, I mentioned it exposes idols, and the reason it exposes idols is because it strips them away. Um, you, know, you may never realize how much you were making marriage an idol until you're single and you like, really want to be married. <laughs> or you, know, you never may realize how much you were making success an idol until you can't get the job that you really, really want or you aren't making the salary you really, really want, or you aren't doing the thing that you think you need to do in order to be a successful person so you can think that you're cool and that you're good enough in all these things. Well, you know, maybe that's actually like God's way of showing, like, hey, like, I'm putting my finger here on something you're worshiping that's not me, <laughs> and it's killing you. So Jesus' invitation in those times is come back to me. Come delight in me. Come find your deepest satisfaction in me, not in guys' Not in girls, not in sex, not in intimacy. Jesus says that uh, he is the only one who is rich enough, full enough, uh, nourishing enough for your soul to feed on And the promise here, notice that there's a promise in this verse. The promise is that when you delight in him, he says, he will give you the desires of your heart. Now do you notice there's actually... A little bit of ambiguity here is he saying when it says he'll give you the desires of your heart is he saying that he'll just give you whatever you want no. or is he saying he will actually give you the desires like he will give you the desire ring. you see the difference there which one is it well actually i in some ways i kind of think it's it's maybe a little bit of both you know think about this there's there's nothing worse uh, then, for example, crushing hard on someone that you know is bad for you, if you've been there. Or, you know, maybe it's aching for something that's on the other side of a boundary in a relationship, and you just know you shouldn't cross it, but you still, like, really, really, really want to. Or, you know, you're just, you're just thirsting for something, you know, anything that you know you just can't have right now. You know, your brain, you know, is like going overtime, telling you, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Red flag, red flag, red flag, run for the hills. But your heart just just wants to go for it. <laughs> it's kind of a war between head and heart. The good news of Psalm 37:4 is that as you delight in the Lord, God promises to rewire your heart. He'll reorder your desires. To love and long for the right things, and ultimately to love and to long for him more, the things that please Him. And honestly, here, here, here's where the, kind of the, the, the two sides come together. When God like, changes your desiring, well then the things that he desires are the things that you desire, and then therefore he, th- those things that He gives to you actually are the desires for are the things that you really want. So, so let waiting rewire your desires and move forward. And move forward, that's uh, lesson number six, by committing your way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. So, just this one kind of raises another question I want to throw out, which is, you know, based on what we've seen so far, would you say overall, um, that waiting, if you had to pick just one, is waiting more active, or is waiting more passive? Active. or passive? Okay, Stephen says active. Anyone dissent? Anyone disagree? I think waiting Tova says waiting is passive. Way to be a contrarian. Anyone else? Who is on team Steven? Steven's on team Steven. Candace is on team Oh, okay. Will great. Uh, who's on team Tova? Oh, Richard of course is on team Tova. You all count on Richard Tova. Okay. Okay, so great. Now you know, it was, a bit, it was a trap, you guys. You remember how the Pharisees always had to trap Jesus with questions where both answers were wrong? Well, you know, both answers were wrong. I, I, was, I was tricking you. Because it is both. It is both. So think about this. Verse 3. Trust, do good, dwell, enjoy. Those are all action words. And then you've got uh, the next couple. Delight, commit, and then trust is in there again. Those are all affection words. You know, like those are attitudes or postures of the heart. And then, you know, the the next ones we're going to see, be still, wait, do not fret. Those are actually inaction words. So waiting on the Lord, you could say, is rooted in a set of affections that lead to a set of actions and a set of, quote-unquote, inactions. See that? So it means that waiting isn't simply passive. It isn't simply active. And, And this lesson here about committing your way to the Lord brings these both together. So what does this mean? Well, uh, you get a little insight into this if you go to a parallel passage in Proverbs 16, verse 3. Uh, You don't need to go there. It's short enough. I'll just read it. But it says, commit your deeds to the Lord and your plans shall succeed. Commit your deeds to the Lord and your plans shall succeed. Now, do you notice anything funny about that verse? I think it's kind of funny about this verse is that it's the exact opposite of how we think it usually works. Typically what we say is, you know, I'm talking to God here, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to commit my plans to you so that what I do will work out. You know, maybe you've played this game with God before. But in Proverbs, it's actually the reverse. It says, commit whatever you do to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Interesting. So, in other words, whatever you do, do it fully surrendered to God. And when you do, you'll grow into the kind of person who makes godly plans. Catch that? And I think that's what David means here. Here's what tends to happen when you're waiting um, for something. You kind of tend to say, okay, God, um, I'll wait on you, but come on, like, what about all the practical stuff? Like, I still have to figure out, you know, where to go to school or, or what career to pursue or whether I should marry this guy, or, or you know, whatever it is. So the, so the thing we're trying to, like, grab God by the scruff of the neck over is, how can I know your will? You know, how, how, how am I going to answer all these questions that I still have while I'm waiting? And, and even worse, what if I get it wrong? Like, God, you've got to give me the answers here, because what if I get it wrong and I choose the wrong way? You know what David's advice is here, I think? He's basically saying, you know, just make a decision. <laughs> Just make a decision. It doesn't say, you know, make a foolish decision or make a hasty decision. You know, use wisdom. But make the decision. Commit it to the Lord. You know, be active. But then be passive. Relax. (laughs) Relax. Because if God is a sovereign God, then no matter what decision you make, if you are making that decision, looking to honor God with all that you are and have, then God promises to be faithful to work through it and to work it for good. Now, let me ask you a question. Does this approach sound a whole lot easier and a whole lot nicer than, like, stressing out all the time about whether you've made the right decision or not? I sure think it does. And it's actually what this, uh, the last couple of lessons are about here. Um, you know, kind of this theme of not stressing out. Well, that's kind of like what the message of these last three is. I'm going to put them all together. And they just say this. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. And do not Be still before the Lord, wait patiently for him, and do not fret. And all of these are really just another way of basically saying, don't freak out. Don't freak out. If doing good, you know, dwelling, enjoying, if these are all actions, then, then these are now the inactions. This is what waiting doesn't look like. And David's saying it doesn't look like freaking out. You know, don't freak out if you want to be married and you're not. Because God is seldom early, but he's never late. Or, you know, don't freak out if you don't have your whole future planned out right now. Commit your way to the Lord. Just, you know, move forward and just enjoy the process. Or, you know, don't freak out if you're just super confused about, like, what the heck is God doing in my life right now? Be still before the Lord and he'll make it clear. Or, uh, you know, just one last one. Don't freak out, David says, if you think that your life is just completely falling apart because... Underneath of the everlasting arms. If I could just kind of tie all of this together, if we're kind of asking this question, what what does David have to say? What does the Bible have to say? What does God have to say about waiting? I think it would be this. Um, I just want to go back to the very first thing we were talking about, which is uh, just this truth that you have a catcher. You have a catcher. No matter what your life looks like right now, and no matter how much you might be freaking out right now, no matter whether you feel like you're on time in life, or whether you're behind in life, you have a catcher who will never let you go. And that is so, so comforting. It means that you're not actually responsible for having all of your life figured out. And you're not responsible for having your whole life figured out by a certain time. You know, tell me where that's in the Bible. You know, Moses didn't get his start until he was 80 years old, you guys. So, you know, is anyone here 80 years old? I don't think so. <laughs> so. So you have a catcher. And the way that you know that he's a darn good one is because Jesus, our catcher, is the only one who catches us and yet who wasn't caught himself. Jesus is the only one who catches us but wasn't caught himself. Because there was a moment in Jesus' life where he found himself with sort of the, the the greatest act of having to trust God with His own future that any human being has ever experienced, and it was as he was on his way to the cross. Uh, you know, there's an old uh, sermon by a guy named Jonathan Edwards. Uh, he was a famous American theologian, and and John, Jonathan Edwards, <laughs> Bo and I have talked about this. And there's a, there's a story where, where uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, where you remember you might remember this. Jesus is praying, Father, you know, if if it's possible, would you take this cup from me? And and the cup, the idea of the cup is that this was like a cup of poison. That was like a, a biblical metaphor for drinking poison, drinking something that was just so awful, so toxic, so horrifying. And, and you know, if you remember the story, Jesus is praying this, and it's such an intense prayer that he begins to actually sweat drops of blood. Well, why is Jesus praying so fervently? Why is Jesus sweating so passionately? Why is Jesus so horrified of the Father's cup? that he must drink. The reason is that it was the cup of God's wrath, it was the cup of God's punishment, and in the garden, the Bible says, it's as though the Father allows Jesus to get a little whiff, a little smell, of what was inside the cup. And it's so horrifying that the Son of God said, God, if it's possible, would you take this away from me? Here's one part of my own future is just infinitesimally difficult for me to entrust to you yeah and you know know what jesus did he drank the cup he went to the cross and he didn't just suffer physically we talk about the physical sufferings of jesus which truly you know the reason why we have words in english like excruciating excruciating means out of the cross because there were Almost no other ways that people could be killed in that time that were more painful than death by crucifixion. We talk about the physical sufferings of Jesus, but the worst kinds of sufferings were the sufferings that no one could even see. It was the spiritual suffering that he underwent being separated from the source of all life, the source of all joy, the source of all good, separated from the face of the Father. On the cross, Jesus entrusted himself to God, And yet God allowed him to suffer. He went to the cross, and for a a, a brief, horrifying moment, God didn't catch him. Now, of course, we know that three days later, he was raised from the dead. It was God's way of vindicating the sacrifice of Jesus, as if to say that my son lived the life you should have lived. He died the death you should have died. His sacrifice completely satisfies the requirements of a holy God for sin. And yet in that moment, he was separated from the Father. The reason why we can trust that Jesus will always be there to catch us is because he was the one catcher who allowed us not to be caught for us. And when you look at Jesus, and when you see how he smelled the cup, how he drank the cup, how he allowed for himself to suffer on our behalf, do you think he's going to drop you now? I mean, if he went through all of that, if he went through infinite suffering then, do you think he's going to let you go now just because you're having a bad day or because your life feels like it's falling apart? No. No. We have a perfect God who is always going to hold us up underneath for the everlasting arms. So if you're waiting in life right now, if you're confused about what God is doing, and you're just wrestling with him trying to get it to become clear, can I encourage you tonight Go back to the catcher. Let him take you into the desert. Let him form your soul. And let him be the source of your trust and the source of your hope while you wait. We pray. Father, thank you that you are a God who will never let us go and that underneath are the everlasting arms. Would you just be catching any of us here tonight um, who just feel like our lives are in free fall, And aren't quite sure if there's anything underneath. Help us to wait, help us to trust, and help us to embrace and to say yes to whatever you might want to do in whatever season we find ourselves in here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.